Welcome to Inside New Mexico. I'm Derek Underhill, and I am talking with the chairman of our Republican Party of New Mexico, former congressman of the 2nd Congressional District of New Mexico, Steve Pierce. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine, Derek. We are just a program that is chock full of information today. Almost two full segments coming up. We'll be talking to the minority leader in the House of Representatives, Jim Townsend, has a dramatic feed from the state legislature's special session that finished up just recently. But I'll tell you, before we get into that, we got to talk about the Logan Municipal Schools. So like many of the schools in New Mexico, they wanted to do something special for their students. And so they're going to go ahead and have the graduation, regardless of what the governor was saying. Dennis Rausch is a former state legislator legislator from that Tucumcari, Quay County area. Logan, of course, up in that same spot. So I talked to him as this was going on. And he said that the state had come in and threatened to fine them $5,000 per student, $1.75 million fine that was going to be levied on the Dalhart or correction on the Logan schools. And so the superintendent simply decided, okay, we're going to go over to the Dow Hart First Baptist Church and we're going to have our graduation services there. And so that's the way it was all the way up to Friday afternoon late. And then a judge in Texas came back and said, no, we're not going to let you uh, come across here and have your graduation there. And so the judge in Texas shut that down. So like almost every school in the, the entire state, the kids that were graduating this year worked 12 years towards graduation and basically got a certificate. In some towns in Hobbs, they posted pictures on the light pole. So you go down, you get this little bitty picture hanging up here about 30 feet. It was a sad attempt to replace graduation. And yet that's what the governor did. Now, the governor did not do anything to disrupt the thousands that were gathered together to protest and burn and to break into buildings, to loot, to riot, to break all the windows in downtown Albuquerque. But she will stop a school from having a graduation service and understand they were going to be able to social distance. Logan is a fairly small town. They were going to be able to achieve social distancing. They would have worn masks. They would have done everything by the rules. But those mask gatherings were not allowed, and yet the demonstrators were allowed to gather. That's what's making people extremely, extremely frustrated. So, Derek, it's a sad case for graduating seniors this year. And the 4th of July. Grants, New Mexico, has the oldest continuous 4th of July parade in the state. Second largest, believe it or not, to Albuquerque. And they knew they couldn't have a parade with people standing on the sidelines gathering, of course, and they want to be responsible. So they come up with the idea to have the floats all line up on First Street, which is a one-way street, and then you'd stay in your car and drive by the floats. And that would keep you social distanced. That was all set to go up until about a week before the 4th of July, and the Department of Transportation under the governor said, nope, can't do that either. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Now, keep in mind the hypocrisy of the governor is that many, many reports showed that when she was restricting people from doing one thing, that is shopping, she went downtown and was able to shop for jewelry for herself or to give us a gift. But then also in that very same period of time, she was restricting people from being on their boats at any of the lakes in New Mexico. And all of the reports indicated that she was on the boat there in Farmington at Navajo Lake, even to identify whose boat it was. And so this governor would interrupt your parade, but she will take advantage for herself. And that's what, again, the people who came here and started this country did not want a ruling class that had special privilege. It's a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. 
And obviously, this governor believes that she is above the law, that she's elite. You know, one of the other issues that I want to talk about is in our special session, the Democrats voted for a limited vote-by-mail system. Remember that VBM is where everyone gets a ballot regardless if they ever vote or if they don't. If they moved out of state, if they died, they still get a ballot if their name is on the voting rolls. And so that's the VBM system. Vote-by-absentee mail is what is legal and allowed. And so this legislature passed a modified VBM system. We just got a report this last week that in New Jersey, in a recent vote by mail system, that one in five ballots, that's 20%, that's 20 out of every 100 were declared to be fraudulent. And that's the problem with the VBM system. In New Mexico, there will be no cross checks. Some states have a system to find the fraud. They check signatures, they do it electronically whatever. New Mexico has no way to check for the fraud. And so we would be far worse than 20% fraud if they, in fact, use this VBM system that they approved. We can't talk in today's program without mentioning the riots. And the reaction of Democrats nationwide is to begin to defund the police departments. And so you have What developed after the death of George Floyd, you have a credible demonstration that says that that police officer needs to be held accountable because we believe it's wrong and the courts then will determine he's actually been charged. But then you have the rioters, the looters and Antifa. They're the Marxists. They're the ones who want to destroy the U.S. One of the leaders of the BLM this last week said that either give us everything we want or we're going to burn the entire country down. I believe him. I lived through the 60s. And so I believe intensely that they mean what they say. And so you've got the legal protest and the legitimate protest then being taken over by the radicals. And so the response of different towns is to defund the police. The Minneapolis City Council has voted to dismantle the police department there and send social workers out on calls that used to police would go on. And they're specifically describing that the people should have no police training. I'm telling you, that is a recipe for disaster, both on the person going out to look at whatever's going on, but also for the people surrounding that area. It is chaos that is being recommended by Democrats in office across this nation. Why hasn't President Trump gone in and cleared out that autonomous zone in Seattle? They call the CHOP, I guess, CHOP autonomous zone. Well, you recall that we talk a lot about the Constitution and the inability of the regular person to amend the Constitution. You can't just change it, and the legislature can't change it. It takes the people and an amendment to the Constitution to actually change that. And our Constitution is definitely aligned along a federalism model so that the federal government cannot go into states. States have actually more power than the federal government, according to the Constitution. And without the invitation of the governor to come in and fix the problem, then Trump is simply living within the confines of the Constitution. So that's the holdup. All that needs to happen is for the mayor or the governor to invite the president to bring in federal officers and they could have that zone cleared out in a heartbeat. In the meantime, you have people who've been killed there. And after the first 
first shooting in that zone, police were not allowed in to investigate. Someone made the comment from inside the zone that uh, don't worry about that. That's just democracy at work. I'm sorry, democracy at work is not when you kill somebody that you disagree with. And so this is what we're looking at, the chaos and the disruption to our way of life in this country. That's where Antifa's going. That's where these radical protesters are, are heading for this country. And I believe that is the decision in the coming presidential election. Joe Biden is owned by the Marxists of the Democrat Party. He is owned by that element of the Democrat Party that says we want what we want or we'll burn the place down. I don't think he has the intestinal fortitude to take on that wing of his party. So he's basically owned by them. The stakes are very clear between what it means to vote Democrat and what it means to vote Republican in this particular election cycle. Steve Pierce and I will return in just a moment with more Inside New Mexico. National Guard and Reserve members are true leaders, both in the military and in the workplace. They are highly skilled and get the job done every day. Employer support of the Guard and Reserve, ESGR, can help you recruit top-notch service members to your workforce. Hiring Guard and Reserve members is good for your business and good for your community. Visit esgr.mil employers to learn more. Welcome back to Inside New Mexico with our chairman of the Republican Party of New Mexico, Steve Pierce. Well, Derek, as we mentioned in the first segment, we're joined in this second segment with Jim Townsend. He's the minority leader in the House of Representatives in Santa Fe and is just a stalwart representative of the values of the people, those things that we hold dear to our hearts. And thank goodness he's there. So, Jim, I wanted to visit with you today a little bit about the special session and uh, get the inside scoop on what all went on and why it went on. Your read on the overall experience of the special session that we just finished. Sure, Steve. We spent about a week in special session. Every bill that the Republicans uh, presented never got heard. In fact, they never even got to committee. Every one of those issues that the Speaker pushed forward, including his own bill, was heard by one single committee and was brought to the floor. What that very clearly means is that Many of the people that voted on bills never heard anything about them in committee or in a debate. They were brought up very quickly and were pushed through. In the end, just so people understand exactly what happened, we're going into our next budget cycle with a revenue estimate of a shortage of about $2 billion. And even with a revenue shortage of $2 billion, meaning we're going we're gonna to be short on money by $2 billion. The budget that was passed on party line votes this year, Democrats pushed through, even with that shortage, a new budget with $250 million of new spending in it. So it was a hard pill to swallow that we were cutting so many issues that affect every constituent that's listening today, but yet the governor increased her own governor department budget by over 10%. So it's tough, but that's exactly what happened. You just can't go out and rob the permanent fund, can you, Jim? Does that take a constitutional amendment? It does take a constitutional amendment. What is available to the governor is a couple of years ago, Representative Larry Larinaga passed a bill that we refer to as the Rainy Day Fund. And what this governor did this year was he balanced our budget on the backs of the CARES Act 
money, about $800 million, that is specifically excluded from being used to balance a budget by the rules uh, put down by President Trump. She forced $800 million into her spending with the one caveat that if she isn't able or if the president doesn't change his mind, she will be able to raid Larry Larinaga's permanent fund for that $800 million. And what that really means to us is that if that occurs, and I strongly believe that it will occur, if that occurs... What will happen is that we will go into that $2 billion budget cycle. When we're $2 billion short, we're going to go into that cycle with less reserves than we've ever done before. And what that really means is that she is going to be forced to do one of two things. She is either going to have to raid the permanent fund or she's going to have to raise your taxes. And I believe she will have no choice but to raise your taxes because as you correctly pointed out, going into the permanent fund would cause her to go to the public to get them to vote on that. I don't think the voters listening today want that to happen. And what she can do is she can raise your taxes without your having any input. Now, you mentioned that not one single bill was heard from the Republican side. Greg Schmidt's had a bill that basically was going to keep the Department of Health from requiring vaccinations. And he began to get strong, strong support among progressives, especially up in the Taos area. But progressives everywhere hate that the government can tell us everything what to do even down to vaccinating our kids. And sometimes kids don't react positively to those vaccinations. So do you know much about Greg Schmidt's bill? I do. And you're exactly right. It was never heard. And there was a number of good bills that weren't heard. Representative Nybert had a bill that would have controlled the governor's powers going forward in these emergencies, as she so calls it. There was another bill by uh, Representative Gail Armstrong that would have put more uh, marketing strategies in the hands of farmers and ranchers as far as meat products, and that was never heard. So you're exactly right. Representative Smadis, Dr. Smadis, who knows exactly uh, and is trained in, I think, the only one, matter of fact, uh, in the House that has a medical degree, and he brings forth an, a a bill that is strongly supported by the general public, and it never sees the light of day. So it's just another example of the disrespect that this governor has for the constituents of New Mexico. Well, that's, uh, again, apparent through everything that she does. She has aligned herself with the National Democrat Party, aligning not with conservative Democrats in New Mexico and gun rights and right to life, but she's aligning with those national groups that support the Democrat Party with large donations. Now, the Supreme Court declared before this session started that irregular citizens could not get into the Capitol during this period of time when the special session was going on. Talk a little bit about that and what it looked like not to have one person in the gallery, none of the stakeholders being able to be there to voice their concerns about different bills. Tell us a little bit about that, if you would. You bet. It was a sore spot with many of us in the Capitol. In fact, Rod Montoya and I tried hard to get that ruling of legislative council overturned. And you just watch the bills as they progress. And after you have served in the, in the House for a number of years or in the Senate, you become keenly aware 
of the public input because it is so important to the process of rulemaking. And this year, that just wasn't the case. We think of the bills that affected law enforcement and just think that not a single sheriff, not a single state policeman, not a single person that has experience with that specific duty we even listen to. And um, it was brought up on the floor a number of times, and it left a real void in the process. When you're pushing bills like the speaker pushed through without regard to what public input is, Without regard to those real, I mean, all of those sheriffs are elected and they come before us being the highest elected law enforcement officer in the counties. And we don't even allow them to have input. And then we all heard the story, oh, this is going to open up input. You're going to have more input. You know, people will be able to get on the Internet and provide comment. Well, you can just go watch. The first day was an absolute fiasco. There hardly was anything done because the Internet was not reliable, didn't stay up and running, started and stopped several times. We passed a measure that said in the event the Internet stops, we would immediately cease floor debates in the process. And on about halfway through the second day, we started doing a fair job of that. But, you know, it's disheartening for us that really turn to the public and ask for their input as we go forward to just cut them out of the process. Um, It just felt like we didn't do our job to my way of thinking. It changed from being the people's house to a party, a political party's tool to invoke their own will without listening to the people. And, And I certainly didn't enjoy it. Our interview with Steve Pierce, chairman of the Republican Party of New Mexico and the minority leader of the State House in Santa Fe, Jim Townsend, will continue in just a moment on Inside New Mexico. On behalf of the New Mexico Department of Health, take COVID-19 precautions. Wash your hands frequently for 20 seconds. Don't touch your face. Use a tissue or your elbow to catch your sneeze or cough. Avoid large gatherings and close contact with sick people, especially if you are elderly or high risk. If you have a cough, fever, or shortness of breath, stay home from work or school. Do not go to the ER or doctor's office without first calling the coronavirus hotline. And avoid all unnecessary out-of-state travel. Help prevent the spread of COVID-19. Welcome back to Inside New Mexico. Let's get back to our interview with the chairman of our Republican Party of New Mexico, Steve Pierce, and minority leader of the House of Representatives in Santa Fe, Jim Townsend. Now, one of the the facts that must be brought up is that during this entire time, the demonstrators were allowed to march and do property destruction through Central Avenue and Albuquerque by the thousands. Uh, I drove through that area later. Uh, it was every storefront window was broken out on both sides, had been replaced by plywood for probably a mile down Central Avenue. And so you can imagine the thousands of people there doing the destructive damage. They were not interfered with at all. But the public, when they wanted to come give input on legislation being passed by the House of Representatives and the state Senate, were not given access to the Capitol. 
probably the most poignant picture I saw on the internet was a young Hispanic mom. She had kids probably in the four to six range and she's holding up a sign against the window saying, my kids need to pee. And so that said it all to me that we couldn't even get in and use the facilities in that building where taxpayer money funds it and funds the facilities and the people in it. And they were eliminated because the special session was ruled to be conducted in secrecy with no public visibility sitting in the committee rooms. And like you said, the internet was being disrupted all of the time. Now, one last point that you made early in your conversation was that the debate really was very limited. It did not go through the interim committees on these bills. Then it usually any bill will go to multiple committees because it has different aspects. Now, debate is intended for one thing, and that is to help us to arrive at the truth between two different points of view. As we debate, then each side can see the the quality and the reasons for another viewpoint, uh, and that happens. And the issue then begins to narrow down to a central truth that can apply for those people, for the people of this state at this time. And that's the purpose of the interim committees. They they work outside the time of the special session or the regular session, either one. And they are where specialists come in and testify. Specialists uh, aren't generally allowed on the floor of the House of Representatives or the floor of the Senate. And so these interim committees serve that function. And yet none of these bills that came up had gone through that process. They came in with very little debate, with very little tensioning, that is, positioning of the arguments of the two sides. Then they passed significant legislation up to increasing the budget uh, at a time when we're desperately in need of cutting the budget. And so that's just my viewpoint of what uh, was going on there with the Speaker of the House limiting debate and being very selective on which committees that he actually sent bills to. Yeah, you're exactly right, Steve. And, And another point to be made, I think, is the Speaker is required by our longstanding House rules to send any bill that has an appropriation must go through House Appropriations and Finance Committee. That's a longstanding rule. In one particular case, and I think there were multiple, but one that I remember uh, right now is the Speaker had a bill that had a $414,000 appropriation. And when that came up, he quickly discounted the fact that Legislative Council had prepared a fiscal impact report and said it had a significant appropriation. And he said, well, that just, that just isn't right. And he just discarded it and said, we're not going to send it to appropriation. And we challenged that on the floor. He said that's his understanding that uh, that was not a good uh, fiscal impact report, although it was the only one that was presented to us. He just said, just disregard it, and we're not going to do that. We're going to go ahead and, and pass this bill again, pass, I think, on party line votes again. And that's another example, just again and again, these actions with the lack of respect for the process, for the lack of respect for the will of the people, and just a lack of respect for the decorum that is within the body and should remain in the body if you want good legislation to come out of there. The rules of any parliamentary institution are to protect, number one, the people, but number two, that uh, the rules are always to protect the minority party. 
And so when I hear of a speaker who routinely dismisses the rules in order to take advantage of the situation using their power, again, that's what our founding fathers were afraid of. They were afraid of people who would become so arrogant with their power that they wouldn't obey any of the rules. They wouldn't give any process to the minority party. And again, the minority party in this state represents about 40% of the voters. And you have a right to be heard. You can't silence 40% of the voters. That's what the parliamentary process is set up for. And so hearing that this speaker just disregarded every decorum, disregarded the advice of their own staff in saying that this needs to go before the Appropriation Committee, those are the things that cause distrust and eventually they cause people to begin to vote a different direction. And that's my statement when people ask, what can we do about the overspending in Santa Fe? And I'm saying vote Republican. They ask, what can we do about the crime in the streets? And I'm saying vote Republican. They're saying, what can we do about the ballot cheating that's going on, the insecurity of the electoral process? And I'm saying vote Republican. And so, my friend, I hope that uh, you are the next Speaker of the House because you would implement budget rules which the state would live within its means. So I wish you Godspeed in this election to you and all of the fellow Republicans running for office. Take back that house and let's put it into responsible hands in order to change the direction that this state is headed. Thank you again for being with us. We've been talking with Jim Townsend. He's the minority leader in the House of Representatives in Santa Fe. Thank you for your great service, Jim. Thank you, Steve. It's time now for the Biden blunder of the week. When asked how he would handle the COVID-19 virus situation, Joe Biden said this. And in order to avoid that, those very high numbers, we have to do at least several things. One, we have to uh, depend on what the president's going to do right now. And first of all, he has to uh, tell, uh, uh, wait till the cases before anything happens. Look, the whole idea is, He's got to get in place things that were shortages of. I, I did insist. I, I suggested that we should have people in China at the outset of this event. And when, when it all started in Luhan province. I do want to remind our listeners to please stay engaged with what's happening with the Republican Party by going to their website at www.gopnm.org. You'll get the latest news, upcoming events, information about elected officials. There's voter resources there and all kinds of important and useful information about the party and its mission. You can listen to previous editions of Inside New Mexico there. And please check out the party's Facebook page. They also have a Twitter account. The handle is at New Mexico GOP. The Republican Party of New Mexico is always looking for volunteers to help them with their mission to win New Mexico for President Trump and to turn the roundhouse red. You can call the party headquarters at 505-298-3662. That's 505-298-3662. For Steve Pierce, I'm Derek Underhill. We'll look forward to meeting with you again right here next week on Inside New Mexico.